Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable high-speed internet. Today, I am joined by Claude Aiken, President and CEO of the Wireless Internet Service Providers Association, or WISPA. WISPA represents approximately 850 fixed wireless providers, covering an estimated 6 million customers, often in rural and hard-to-reach areas. We discuss the various ways fixed wireless providers have sought to keep people connected during the pandemic, how we should be thinking about fixed wireless technology versus fiber when it comes to ending the divide in areas hardest to reach, and what policy changes WISPA will be advocating for in the Biden era. Claude, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the show. Absolutely, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me. Good to be here. So to start off, can you just give us a little bit of background on WISPA and the role of the organization and its members are playing in addressing the digital divide? Sure. So WISPA is and, and has historically been the, the voice of the, uh, the WISP or the fixed wireless industry here in, in the United States and, uh, and, and actually a little bit abroad, too. Uh, we have close to a thousand members, the large majority of whom are uh, fixed wireless internet service providers. Uh, so these are mostly really small uh, broadband providers, community-based. Uh, it's it's interesting because you know in the COVID era uh, and all of the noise about uh, the Paycheck Protection Program and what are small businesses and small business relief. We look at the the SBA's size standards for what a small broadband business is, and that's a company that has 1,500 or fewer employees. Our members average between three and 10 uh, and average around uh, 500 to 1,500 subscribers. So you think of like a Comcast that has 36 million, and that gives you a, a sense of what the what the size differential is. And, and these are folks who uh, live in the communities that, that they serve, uh, started their business out of a frustration of the lack of quality broadband in, in their community uh, and, and have grown from there. So it's uh, it's a really great group of folks that I'm really happy to to be able to represent and and, and advocate on behalf of, uh, help help them grow their businesses. It's, uh, it's a really fantastic group of folks to work with. So let's talk a little bit about the past year and the, the pandemic. Um, what role uh, has, have the, the members of WISPA been able to play in helping people get connected? And have there been any lessons learned that you think will help continue to expedite connectivity for people going forward? And also just, it, does that information about lessons learned get shared within the organization between members, of course, they're they're competitors. You know, it's it's an economy and all of that. But but how do, how does that information get shared? Sure. So actually, let me take that that last part first. First, and and one of the great things uh, that really kind of drew me aboard in, in this organization in the first place is how collaborative uh, members are with each other. They're they're always willing to lend a helping hand in terms of information. Or in the context of, of COVID and, and other disasters, to, to actually lend a helping hand with uh, with equipment, uh, with actually you know driving through the night to somebody who is had, uh, had been impacted by a hurricane or, or something like that, and, and help them 
get their service back up again. So that's kind of the the mindset that our members have have approached the the pandemic with, and you've seen so so much uh, service uh, go on. It's just uh, it's humbling to see what what some of our, our members have done from providing. Uh, standing up connections in a matter of, of days to to COVID screening tents outside of, of healthcare institutions when uh, larger incumbents said it would take weeks, uh, countless uh, public Wi-Fi, free Wi-Fi hotspots stood up all across the nation uh, to help folks who who don't have high quality broadband at home get connected obviously that's it, it's unfortunate it's it's an unfortunate statement about the state of broadband in our country when when that's a solution and that shouldn't be a solution but the fact that they're willing to do that on their own dime i think speaks volumes about uh about where their priorities are and then just working around the clock to connect the unconnected in the midst of a global pandemic, uh, coming to work day after day uh, to bring on new subscribers, to stand up new towers, to run new fiber, uh, and even keep the lights on when a bunch of employees have uh, have come down with COVID. I, I think of one of our members who has uh, you know seven seven out of their nine employees came down with COVID over the course of uh, a one month period, and they were able to kind of still keep the lights on, still keep uh, customers served, and I think that's that's a testament to what these small companies who are really on the front lines of of closing the digital divide do uh, to to be able to to serve their communities. So. It's been humbling to see what what they've done, um, and there's been a lot of good information sharing that's that's been going on through this. And you know, I think some of the the lessons learned to the other point of your your question is um, broadband policymakers really need to take a look at uh, making sure that there's there's a technology neutral neutral playing field for all different kinds of technologies and all different kinds of providers to be able to come in and solve uh, these kind of, of problems. Uh, there, there's a lot of debate about, uh, you know, what, what technology is best, what provider is best. Uh, and I think we need to make room for some of these smaller local innovators to really do what they do best and, and solve problems and, and build broadband. Uh, I'm, really excited that our community is one of builders and doers, and we'd like to see them do more of that. I want to um, unpack what you just talked about a little bit more. So one of the things that you mentioned is uh, being open to different types of technology, and a lot of the focus on closing the digital divide when you talk to different stakeholders is on fiber. So how do you see the difference um, between fiber and fixed wireless, um, and uh, perhaps even the combination of of those? And, And what role do you see fixed wireless playing in the dig- closing the digital divide versus fiber? Absolutely, I, I think that's you, you're absolutely right. There, there certainly is a technology debate going on right now, and I, I think it's it's kind of uh, present in, in our membership as well. We're we're seeing a lot of members who have historically been 
fixed wireless only starting to deploy fiber. But we're also seeing folks who have predominantly focused on fiber in the past uh, utilize more fixed wireless in in their networks. You see uh, even in areas, even in urban areas, I know we're talking about the digital divide now, but where there are multiple fiber competitors, you see fixed wireless uh, startups taking market share from the incumbents uh, just because of their laser focus on, on customer service and still being able to provide a, a high quality connection regardless of what, what technology is, is used. So I, I think it is um, unfortunate that we are in the position of uh, people saying, well, we should pick a winner or we should pick a, a loser technology-wise when we are seeing wireless uh, technology grow in, in capacity by leaps and bounds. You're seeing gigabit fixed wireless service today. Uh, I, I think we saw a debate about the capabilities of, of fixed wireless in the policy context back in the 2718, 2018 timeframe during the FCC's Connect America Fund phase two auction, where folks were saying, uh, we're a little bit uncertain about, well, are these smaller fixed wireless providers actually going to be able to provide 100 by 20 uh, broadband service wirelessly? Fast forward a couple of years now, and the answer is a resounding yes. So I think we need to have a little bit of humility uh, we don't know uh, where technological innovation is, is going to go. You know, we're talking about 5G and, and multi-gigabit uh, wireless connections and, as well as gigabit fiber. So that, that whole uh, thing kind of informs the, the need to, to really ensure that our policies are, are technology neutral. Yes, set, set benchmarks. Uh, set what customers should expect to receive regardless of the technology and then let the folks who uh, who know that technology the best figure out what's what's the best to deploy in in any certain scenario or to any given populace you mentioned um, CAF but there was also similar concern uh, from the the more recent RDOF auction with some mm-hmm. analysts worried that uh, fixed wireless providers wouldn't be able to um, uh, meet their commitments. But uh, we've also heard plenty of stories over the past couple of years about fiber providers who haven't met their commitments and are continuing to reap the benefits in those auctions as well. So, um, you know, just pointing <laughs> pointing that out. Um, <laughs> but on the subject of policy, then, are there specific policies in place now that you would um, like that are getting in the way for, for your members? Or are, are there policies that you're going to be advocating for under the new Biden administration? Sure. Yeah, uh, we are really excited to to work with the the new administration uh, across the board, uh, both at, at the White House uh, with Congress and, and you know particularly at, at the FCC and other federal agencies. We we think there is a, a lot of opportunity and excitement for uh, for really making massive steps towards uh, bridging the digital divide and, and enabling those uh, members of ours and, and others to to really tackle uh, that stubborn and, and persistent problem. Uh, what we 
what we tend to, to advocate for, uh, unsurprisingly, one, one big bucket is, is spectrum and, and trying to make sure that we have that, that right mix uh, of licensed, uh, shared, uh, unlicensed spectrum uh, in, in the pipeline and in the marketplace, but on terms that make sense for uh, smaller entities as well as the largest national incumbents to be able to uh, acquire and, and use that spectrum. I mean, historically, especially when you're talking about licensed spectrum, the challenge is the, it tends to be made available on geographic areas that can cover several states. Uh, or you know even an entire state if, if you're talking smaller. If you're talking about a 500 subscriber uh, fixed wireless ISP that's serving you know several hundred square miles uh, and really has low margins anyway, it doesn't make business sense for them to acquire spectrum to cover a whole state if all they want to serve is their community. So trying to ensure that those folks, have a place at the table as far as spectrum conversations are, are concerned, especially when you consider the fact that when the FCC did collect data about uh, wireless service, when it was looking at its mobility fund, it found that uh, coverage uh, by the largest mobile providers was overstated by about 40%. So is spectrum being used is existing license spectrum being used efficiently and making sure that new license spectrum uh, is also being used efficiently as well uh, on the sort of general infrastructure side of things we were really pleased that the the FCC approved our request to uh, reform the over the air reception devices or, or otard uh, Late uh, late last year, I think that'll make a big difference. Any sort of uh, lib liberalization uh, on non-traditional entities having access to infrastructure uh, really makes a difference in in their ability to to deploy. Uh, so that that includes towers, that includes other sorts of vertical infrastructure, that also includes uh, utility poles as as well. Um, Pole attachment reform is something that's very much on, on our radar as, uh, radar as well. Um, I mean, we've already talked about about subsidies, uh, ensuring that those are are neutral and, and fair, and allow smaller entities to come to the table, uh, who as well. And then, you know, I think you've, you've heard me mention uh, small providers, small providers, small providers throughout this conversation. And I think that kind of is, is its own category as well. Just making sure that when folks are, you know, maybe thinking about new regulations, uh, thinking about programs, thinking about changing things, that companies that, you know, don't have a regulatory lawyer on staff, or or may may not even know who to call uh, to get that kind of advice, are are taken into account uh, in in the same breath as those companies that that have entire teams of regulatory lawyers and and lobbyists. So, making sure that we're taking that into account when we're when we're designing future regulations. That that, that last category especially means that we we as WISPA are, are pretty busy because that just about everything that happens in the broadband space impacts our, our members and tends to be thought about in ways 
that makes sense for larger companies. So we, we find ourselves speaking up a lot <laughs> in that regard. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like you have your work cut out for you, but also that your members are lucky to have uh, someone like you advocating for them. So thank you so much for your time and, and for your expertise in this area. And I hope we'll get to, to talk more uh, again in the future. Absolutely. Thank you, Nicole. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Claude Aiken, for your time. And thank you to our producer, Tian Fu, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>